You're listening to Tuned with Alastair Atkin from the Atkin Guitars Workshop. I'm Alastair Atkin, and in this podcast, I'm going to chat to a few of the music industry people I've been lucky enough to meet over the last 25 years of being a guitar maker. Amongst them are musicians, songwriters, composers, and fellow guitar makers. Some of them you'll have heard of, and some of them you might not. Today I'm talking to British singer-songwriter Boo Hewardine, who reached critical acclaim with his band The Bible in the 1980s, and he went on to collaborate with Eddie Reader from Fairground Attraction. His song Patience of Angels won him an Ivor Avello Award, and he's gone on to write with some of the biggest names in the industry. So sit back, get yourself a cup of tea and some biscuits, and enjoy our conversation. Hi, Boo. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you very much. Nice to see you with your big beard. It's very good. I was on the television last night. Uh, we filmed a thing for Burns Night, and I hadn't seen my beard on television before, and there were some really nice close-ups, so I was quite pleased with it. Yeah. Did you uh, make sure you combed it out before you went on television? I got most of the corn on the cob out of it before <laughs> I went on, you know. Cause we, cause we couldn't have makeup because they can't do makeup at the moment. There's incredible... Uh, social distancing there was a there was a woman with a big stick <laughs> if you and if you got too close she'd sort of stick it in between you and to keep you apart and stuff so it's quite funny playing music that far apart there was an orchestra and on the television it looks like we're all quite close but it's it's sort of strange playing music with people at least 10 feet away so that was in the studio in, in are you in glasgow yes that was in pacific key right uh and it went we did it last about a weekend or so ago, but it went out last night. Hey, and I was very nervous about the beard, but it it, <laughs> it really did look good on the telly. I mean, it's a great beard for TV, isn't it? Yeah, and it it shows that I haven't wasted my time during lockdown. You know. Yeah, so. I think um... this is the second one. I shaved it off halfway through because I thought that would be you know a positive thing to do, and uh, my wife was quite distressed by. Them. The sight of my face, so I grew it back. Starting to look like Leland Scar, the bass player, <laughs> whose mother apparently yeah. has, hasn't seen his actual face since he was a kid. But um, hey, well, so you doing Celtic Connections at the moment? Then we did we did one Celtic Connections thing, which was beautiful, which is called Come Away In, which has already been out, but we filmed that in December, and that was me, Eddie Reader, that I worked with, Finley Napier, Kareem Polwart, Rab Noakes. Siobhan Miller and we were all in a big circle and none of us at that point had seen any other musicians for months and we were in the in the city chambers a really big room and really far apart but it was it was incredibly emotional and that is actually when I look watch the film back it is it was kind of fantastic to because we're playing to no audience but we're playing for each other and it was a really uh really much better than I thought it was going to be. I was quite sort of anxious about it, but it was it was, it was really beautiful. I'm sure you were you should, um, all feeling quite sort of uh, emotional. Yeah, as you say, just to be there and 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 like just sparring off somebody again must have felt really good. Yeah, it really does. Just to just just to play music together. It's it's because we've all been doing it in isolation or doing it like this or whatever. Mm. I mean, I've made I've made quite a lot of records during lockdown, one way or another. Wow. And it's great, and I really like them, you know, either producing or playing on them or my own ones. 
Oh, that's, it's funny. You know that I have a duo. You've made a guitar for my friend Brooks yeah. Williams, which he yeah. loves. It's, it's like you ended his search for a guitar. It's amazing. Huh. Um, he, but we have made a couple of lockdown singles, but we've decided to put off making the album because we just want to be in a room together again. It's, yeah. It's just, it's, it's great. You can do things with clicks and blah, 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 and edits, but there's nothing like just two people in a room playing, so. No, I mean, so when this started, we, we talked a little bit at the beginning, and I think we were all a little bit, Christ, what's going to happen? And mm. certain parts of the music industry seem to have kept going quite nicely, and obviously other parts have died a death mm. as well, you know. And, uh, but you're, you're one of those people who's constantly writing music, and so, yeah, for you, how much has changed? I mean, obviously the touring's fallen off, but your day-to-day life, is something going on all the time? I'm kind of busier than I've ever ever been, which is great. And what I have enjoyed, which sounds so selfish, but I get to write every day, whether for myself or for other people. And when you're touring, especially when you're touring by yourself, and most of your day seems to be spent on Lincoln Station in a hailstorm, you know, and you see you can't you can't you can't really write. You you have all these intentions on tour, you take all these notebooks and recording devices, but you spend mo- you either singing, travelling or lying on, on, on your back staring at the ceiling of a B and B wondering what you've done with your life. So I've been I've I've actually enjoyed that. I've written an album with uh Adam Holmes, I don't know if you know him, which is one of the I'm so excited about it. He's finished recording it. It's coming soon. And it's great. That wouldn't have happened without lockdown, you know, all sorts of things like that. Yeah, know. I was going to ask as well, because, I, I mean, we're doing this now, and you'd never normally talk to me um, in, in normal At times. All. <laughs> At exactly. all. At all, no. It just blanked me. But, it, uh, it's... but no, to be fair, every now and then you get uh, get the trouser call and it's a bit awkward and it's like oh how are you doing yeah but you i know. mean it has meant it's, it's, that we've all been able to do a bit more of this sort of stuff you know and um yeah so there's one guy that you've written with have you written with anybody that you weren't expecting to ever write with or has anything really sort of interesting nearly nearly every nearly everyone really yeah i mean i, I really liked adam i i i've met everyone that i've written with physically even for a couple of minutes which is kind of strange one of, but one of my most enjoyable writing experiences is with a guy called Vlado Nozel who lives in Bratislava mm. and he's in a a, a a really cool band there called Queer Jane and, and he I don't know why but he he came to watch me at Croydon Folk Club seems very unlikely because he's like a cool fella and we and we do stuff and it's we yeah we've been making a record it's it's great and I, of course i wouldn't have written with him there's a woman called lady nade down in bristol who's recording as right now as we speak mm-hmm. uh, and i've written loads and loads of them she's making a record with that so it's yes i've had lots of opportunities to and that's what I love doing is 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 writing. I'm really looking forward to playing again. But I, I was doing so many gigs a year. Yeah, yeah. That it was it started to take a bit of a back seat. You know. So. I mean, you could be out on tour for what hundred or more nights a year, probably more. Was it? Yeah, yeah. And then I don't actually seek it out, but I, I, I it happens. So I do my own shows. I play with Eddie Reader, which is fantastic. I play with Brooks Williams in State of the Union. I had a tour. Uh, with Heidi Tolbert because I, uh, Heidi and I, I, I helped to make the record that sort of 
got her going. It was actually her third record, but it was the one that started getting played on the radio. We're really good friends and stuff like that. So she was going to do a tour. So none of those things I'd want to say no to. They're absolutely fantastic. But it did mean, they were, I, on one day in March, I mean, there were more afterwards, but on one day I lost 80 gigs in one day. That was, they just kept going. I mean, that's, it's insane, isn't it? And I know it happened to, yeah. to everyone, but, everyone. but when, yeah, when it's it happening to you, and I mean, I think we we sort of looked at the same sort of thing, you're seeing the world fall away from underneath you. It's, it's really, well, I mean, it's unprecedented in certain respects. Yeah. But... Um, what was your initial reaction? Are you the sort of person who would just go, oh, well, I'm sure this will start again? Or were you like, shit, what am I going to do? Or did you? How, what was your personal reaction to it all? I, I feel very lucky because as well as gigging, I, I do have the writing. And for the last few years, I've been running workshops, songwriting workshops, which I, I really love doing and had so many rewarding experiences from that. That right away, me and Finley Napier, who lives just over there, designed uh, a course which we've only started being able to do uh, last week, which is for people who've lost their income, mm -hmm. uh, musicians who've lost their income through COVID. And we had to get a bit of funding just to make it run, but we've done that. And that, that's so we immediately threw ourselves into designing that. And we did some online courses i've been doing a lot of online mentoring and helping people produce records and stuff so i just because you can't make a living in music doing one thing i've i've i've, I've always fostered other things as well so yeah you're often sort of team up with chris difford in the workshops and and obviously right with chris uh, I, has he been doing much with you this this time around we had talked all the way through, all the way through about doing something together. We planned it and everything. And we wrote the first song. It's taken a long, long time, but we wrote the first song yesterday, which I'm really, really pleased with. So it feels like we're off, but he's just been, he's thrown himself into doing workshops and, and, and stuff like that. But we've probably from like the first day of lockdown, we talked about doing that, but it only just happened yesterday. So, That's, but it will happen. Yeah, that's superb. <laughs> yeah. So you're, is the Celtic Connections, I, I spoke to Simon Nicol yesterday from Fairport mm. and he said they were watching it on, uh, I think they're subscribed to, to watch it on, online. Is there, are there actual gigs going on in, in um, uh, Glasgow, Glasgow at, the, at the moment or, or is it sort of all stuff that's been pre-recorded for it? It's all pre-recorded, sometimes quite... The turnaround is quite quick, but it's it's absolutely amazing what they managed to pull out of the hat. It's it, so they use big spaces, but very very carefully. So like when we in, we went into the BBC initially, we were going to do that concert in a theatre, and then the lockdown got a bit stricter, so we, they decided to do it in the BBC. And it's a, it's a, it was if you have a look, it's a really big production, and the fact that they are able to jump that quickly, so it all happened all happened in a few days. Wow! They've just been just and they've so they've been doing that sort of thing incredibly well, and so some concerts, like for example, Finn, some of them are, are it's a bit seat of the pants. So like, Finley's wife is called Gillian Frames, fantastic folk uh, artist, and they she got a call from the director saying do you know anyone on aaron who plays folk music and it just so happened 
that Gillian and um, Finley were on Aaron visiting her parents. Right. So they said, well, yes, I do, me. <laughs> and they said, well, could you find a film crew and could you film something? And they did that and they organised it in one day. And they managed to get this really good filmmaker and then they, they've done a little thing where they're playing outside and there's drones flying around. It's just amazing how quickly people can do things when they have to. Yeah. And that's 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 the difference. Like like in safer times, the planning would go on for months and weeks, but it's just bang, 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 and people are really rising to it. It's great. It is. It is kind of cool, isn't it? A lot of you know that yeah. that's got to be a nicer side to it. A few positive things like that have happened. I think. That, uh, I think. I think there'll be new. I think there'll be new skills and so for One. One, especially with the. Uh, workshops is great because when the ones some of the ones I've done are, are people are being able, are coming and being able to attend when they probably couldn't come to a physical one because it's too far away or they mm-hmm. don't have mobility or so forth. So there's a whole new level of things when we get back that's going to be there that's really positive. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, mm. I think that will happen for everyone really. And uh, yeah. so you'd obviously be looking to do some festivals this summer you know and and lots of people are talking about festivals what's your gut feeling i don't i i i i hope to be proved wrong but i don't think that'll happen no no it's i i don't i don't think i think we're ages away yet but i mean we keep moving gigs i'm i'm just saying i've got a really lovely uh age lovely woman called gail who lives in sheffield I just told her to shove everything into next year. I just said, just do it. Mm. Don't even think about it. Because it's agony. Because we've done the, we did the moving tours about three times. I said, just put it as far away as you can. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know. I mean, all the time and, and, you know, effort and money that goes into sort of publicizing that mm. stuff. It's uh, to keep, I mean, we, we had a lot of that sort of stuff uh, in an interesting comparison with, with Brexit, you know, with, We'd keep yeah. doing last-minute Brexit orders for the last four years, and and it's yeah. it's just all sort of yeah. If you can just put it in the future and and hope that things are going to get a bit uh, a bit better by then, hopefully things will start sort of uh, getting a bit more cheery. We'll see, won't we? You 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 said the B word. I so. shouldn't say it, but occasionally, and I mean, there's. <laughs> <It slips out. laughs> I was saying to the lads earlier on. I said I really would like to go to one of those health farms where they just massage you and just go, it's okay, Mr. Atkin, there's no Brexit in here. Just We've left it at the yeah. door. We don't have to talk yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. We, we obviously mm-hmm. do have to talk about that all bloody day long. Um, and for so many musicians now, obviously, who are touring, I, I had this thought to myself, what would it have been like if COVID hadn't have been happening and all these bands had been on tour over, you know, quite reasonably touring the continent coming home for christmas back out in january i don't know whether they'd have been able to fulfill any of those gigs it it, no it could have been a total um so in that respect hopefully by the time this is cleared up some of those parts of things might look a bit more um possible or work some of this stuff out. well i i haven't done it yet but for when it looks like we're going to do that again, I, I and ev- everyone in Eddie's band actually have uh, either Irish parents or Irish grandparents, so we're going to look at that. Ah, uh, so. that's uh... except except for the bass player. Right, where's he from? But he. <laughs> 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 
So, but he, he'll, we, we can just play tapes of him playing, can't we? <laughs> yeah, Zoom him. Everyone will be used to it by yeah. then. But it yeah. is sad, and it, is, it does seem to be very sort of a, stopping this creativity that should be going on. But um, without wanting to harp on about that too much, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out for, for all you guys once it's, uh, once it's allowed again. But um, Well, you've even got Roger Daltrey complaining now, so it must be bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's done a full, a full about turn, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. It affects me. Hang on. <laughs> no, that can't be the case. Oh, it does. Um, <laughs> um, there were a couple of things I wanted to talk about because you started your songwriting career very early, didn't you, and were writing songs at school. Did you did you know instantly that's what you wanted to do, or did you think I might be a bank manager, but this songwriting thing will be fun in the background, or how how did it work? It, I, it's it's always what I wanted to do, and it's kind of ridiculous because I couldn't play anything, and I I had to teach myself to play things and to teach myself to sing and stuff, and I didn't it was I wasn't like the McCalls in my band, like Neil and Callum, <laughs> who came from a a, a, a a sort of folk folk biz family, so. But it always it was always there in my mind, and I'm not even sure why. But I'm kind of glad now at this end of things because it's it's what I get to do all day. But uh, I I don't think I'd be much used doing anything else. I've had a few uh, real jobs. I worked in record shops, which is almost the same as being a, a songwriter, really. I worked in a uh, I, on Portobello Road. I worked in a place called the Alternative Shoe Shop, and my job was to try and sell people these clogs that had wooden soles but pink leather uppers so you'd like people would try on something and then i'd have to go yeah that that doesn't look bad but have you tried one of these <laughs> it's like spinal tap <laughs> <laughs> i was really really bad at that i was really bad at that but that was it that was it it's every time you sell one of these pink leather clogs you you, you got a little bonus did you sell any i sold a few you had to wear them to work there <laughs> And it was difficult because if you were walking around, they couldn't hear you over the racket. You know what I mean? I, I, you might even find you're a, you're a sales genius if you managed to sell some pink clogs. <laughs> you might have missed a whole career there. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's kind of my only work experience. That that and working in a photo retouching factory where people, you know, when you could you could send in and get get. Um, get your photos, uh, a, a new set of photos. Yeah. That was half the business. The other half is to say, this is really good, this picture, but, you know, there's a, there's a mark on it. So I didn't do that, but my job was to find the ones that needed <laughs> to uh, be um, fixed up. And there was this, a woman called Jane who we were all scared of. She would get a little brush and, and make them better. But most of the pictures that were, it was the late 80s, most of the pictures were a gentleman in their pants sort of lounging. <laughs> with, with not lounging, their wife. Lounging, <laughs> yeah, lounging on sofas and stuff like that. It was, it was so, my, my work experience is really quite limited. So, you know. Well, maybe that side of career advice we won't send people to you for. But <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you you started writing and you had a band at school. I did, and, and that kind of evolved into the Bible somehow, did it? Not quite. The band I had at school, and this is really strange, was me and a guy called Peter. But it's our band. And uh, about a month after I moved here, and I was speaking to him this morning, he moved in 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 a flat across the square. 
he this morning he he uh, rang me and asked me asked me to help him with the middle eight. So we're still pals and still <laughs> making music together. It. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's nice of them to move my school friends in for me as well. But <laughs> there's uh, after that I was in a band called the Great. The, oh, oh no, I was in a band after that called placebo thing I, and the drummer who was in the bible dave was in that and it was a really good band and i lived in the venue i lived in a flat above the venue so it was easy to get to so we did our first gig and everyone really liked it and i was so naive and then in, in that first set we did one of the songs was a song called joke which then eddie had as a single years later so it's like i I think I think they were good songs, but I was so naive. Oh, yeah. I thought that every time you did the gig, you have to write a whole new set of songs. So it started getting really stressful. So we got a, a gig like maybe two <laughs> weeks later. That's all right. But then they started coming in every two days. I'm like, oh my god! And then someone says, "You don't have to write new songs." <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we made a tape, and that got to Virgin Records. And um, I got a call from them saying, "We really like this tape. Will you come down to London?" And so I had no money at all. I couldn't afford the train. And then my friend said, I'll tell you what, I'll take you down on my motorbike. I said, okay. So we got, uh, we got on, on, on the M11, we'd gone about four miles and the engine just, f- f- <laughs> it just fell out of his motorbike. It just <laughs> fell out. <laughs> so I had to ring them and say, I, I, come on. So they said, no, we'll come again. So I went down again. I remember going to Virgin. It was, uh, Bully Yates was in, re- was in reception and the big bull guy from Gillen was in reception as well. So I thought, oh, this is great. I've cracked it. So I went in <laughs> and I had to meet him with this guy. I was about 18 or so. And the guy said, this is fantastic. I didn't know manager. This is fantastic. We really like it. We'd really like to sign you. And I went, great. And I just went home. I didn't know what you meant to do next. <laughs> 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 To most people, right? I mean, that 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 moment that you that you reached there was like everyone's dream, yeah. isn't it? It's like I'm in a record yeah. industry place talking to this guy, and he wants to sign me. Now, y- your tape got on his desk. Do you know how it got there? Or, I mean, we, how proactive were you in getting stuff out to these I people? I have very vague memories. I must have sent it off to them or something. So I, d- I just remember I came back, went to the pub, and I didn't really know what I was meant to do. I had no idea after that. And so it just went away. And then then I moved to London. So you didn't get signed? No. I don't. <laughs> you just walked out? And, uh, yeah. Like, oh, thank you. I was an idiot. <laughs> by the, and it was too late by the time people said, no, you're meant to speak to them. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so then I moved to London and I made this tape on my guitar. I only had five strings because I bust a string. And I couldn't afford to get a new string. I was like on the dolls. And I took that into rough trade. And that was really strange because I, uh, my friend Jane took me in. No, Ju- Julia. And she took me in and we played it to Jeff and he sort of liked it, uh, but not enough to go further with it. But the really funny thing is, obviously, I ended up with rough trade later with Eddie. But to me, that was more exciting because I love the indie stuff. But while I was there, um, he talked about, I was living in Cambridge at the time, he talked about, said, oh, there is there is some stuff we have from Cambridge mm-hmm. and uh, there was a label there called yeah. Leisure Sounds and they put out two singles by two groups, one called, called Dogma Cats and the other group called Urzats. And he said, you should speak to them. So I did. I went to speak to them 
and that was the beginning of uh, that became the Great Divide, who were uh, signed to Ireland. That was my first proper record deal. There's a, bits in between that, so everything's sort of interlinked, and I'm still friends with those guys as well. And so we we were on and we made some singles. It didn't quite happen, and that sort of mm-hmm. dwindled away. And that's when I started the Bible with a guy called Tony Shepherd, and we made the first record. I saved up for a year working in a warehouse and made enough money to go to a place in Islington and we made the first record there. So. Hey, and and that first record had um, Gracelands on it. Um, yeah, and uh, and Mahalia, which got played yeah. on the radio last night, which is amazing. But, it's, but the only <laughs> reason I made it was so we could get gigs locally. But it started getting these amazing reviews. Uh, I remember it got to... In Music Week, they said this is something ridiculous thing, which is not true, but just said this is the most important record since Patti Smith Horses. Not the one. <laughs> you can hear, you, it's lovely when people say, yeah, but it says, are you, are you sure you can hear you can hear Tony burping at the end of the third track? You know, so but it's <laughs> but um, and then so it crept into the indie charts, and that's when we were approached by Marcus Russell, who's well, a wonderful man. We'd been approached by other people before that uh, to manage us, but Marcus Russell then went on to manage Oasis and stuff, and he, mm-hmm. he w- w- amazing manager, amazing man, and, and and took us on such an adventure. Uh, I've got, I have such good things to say about him. But before then, we were beginning to appear, and we had an in we, with the people who managed Squeeze, what Copeland. Oh yeah, Miles Cope. Yeah, his his yeah. assistant or his partner Jeremy decided that he wanted to manage it. So we went and had a meeting at their office, and it was really scary. They were like big thrones, and it felt a bit weird. And then we went for a meal, and his wife came. She'd flown from Iceland. I don't know why that was relevant to meet us. And we had this meal, and it was me and Neil, and we were having this thing, and I was talking about what I was trying to do with the music, and then yeah. uh, he just stopped at one point and said. So you're the singer and you're the guitarist. And, and he said, yeah, he said, don't you think it would be better if he was the guitarist, if he was the singer, because he's much better looking than you. That was, that was, a... <laughs> 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 well, why, why, why not? To say. I don't yeah. know. I why can't help being we'll plug ugly, but there you yeah. go. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> sorry i'm just talking so, i'm just talking no no keep talking i mean you mentioned you mentioned neil there and did callum join the uh he did he did like he did later yeah uh because it started with me playing guitar and tony playing keyboards and drums and stuff and then we got neil who had been in a band along with dave dave the drummer had been in a band called roaring boys which were a legendary band if only because they got the biggest record deal in history wow uh, um but nothing ever came of them and i knew them and we i basically poached them out of there and neil was playing bass so i didn't really know neil and it was only one day in a rehearsal room he was sort of noodling around on the guitar i went why the hell are you playing bass because he's obviously a fantastic guitar player and then we did exactly the same thing with callum so callum came in and played bass and then of course callum's a brilliant guitarist as well so we went we had lots and lots of bass players until we ended up with leroy lendora at the end but we Many, many bass players. So, but the the reason we went with Marcus, and I think this is a good. This is this is sound. So we were being uh, courted by uh, Miles Copeland's lot and all that, sort of promising us this stuff like that. Marcus, who at the time was had been a, a, a teacher and lived in a, in a council house in Har- Harlow, but the only thing he'd done is he his 
best mate was a poet and he created your Latin quarter had they had one hit single called Radio Africa and it was very good mm. but uh, but you know that was and we, that was all we knew about him and let's say he was really keen so he came for to a rehearsal and Tony's dog was acting up in the rehearsal and um, Marcus said look why don't I take the dog for a walk because you obviously need to crack on and he left the room and went that, that's our guy that's the man <laughs> and we and we were right because he took because he, he just he was a a human <laughs> yeah so, yeah yeah and he and what he did what the way he ran he used to be a sports teacher the way he ran oasis was like a sports team so when when one of them dropped out just got a new a new person in yeah. and it, brilliant absolutely brilliant and then and then as far as i if if i if my memory serves me right that that was around that time you sort of went solo and started sort of uh or just after the Bible was that your next sort of venture? Just yeah, it it was it was so partly yeah. It sort of it just it didn't stop for any other reason that we we were all broke, you know. Mm. That was that mm. was it really, and we decided that we hadn't split, and that was Marcus was don't say you split. So we do reform occasionally and play again, and we we all you know, there's no bad feeling between any of us. But that, I, it, it, Neil just played on something on something that adam holmes record i talk talks about that i wrote during lockdown mm-hmm. he's he's playing guitar on it fantastic so we're still all really close it's just it was a, having a band it's unwieldy if, you, if you're not being super successful we were success, very successful live but we didn't sell as many records as we thought we would i mean we did make the record with steve earl that we thought was going to do really well but yeah. fun, funnily enough both the records uh particularly the first one continue to sell now like i say my track got played on, on last last night it's like so you know it's it, we it's felt a bit of a cult status almost isn't it kind of yeah a... i think i think it was a mercy play but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah then i went solo i was offered that i was offered oh my goodness i probably can't talk too much about that but i was offered a really amazing solo deal with uh, go disc and, it, and it, it collapsed because I had a manager who behaved very very badly that was one of the biggest disappointments of my life that right uh, so after that I, w- I went back to the Christmas people that a Bible had been signed to and I and they said well we'll sign you so they go I, I remember I was playing a gig supporting Amy Mann at the Mean Fiddler and they mm. just came they just came into the dressing with a contract it was like a like a film or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so I started that record. It's called Ignorance. I started it with uh, Jim Abyss, who then went on to do like Arctic Monkeys and stuff. Where we used to record in Cambridge was this studio called Space Ward, and it was incredible because for several reasons. One was that they were always um, doing brave technological things like the first sampler i ever saw was there the first automated desk i ever saw with there they were like the two guys around it were like these these inventors you know mm-hmm. and then they went on to invent sadie do you know what sadie is no i've heard of it sadie is what what was used for years and years as the as the uh, like the pro tools of for mastering engineers okay so yeah. incredibly inventive people so they had to have people be engineers and the two people they had being engineers were 16 and 17 and one was uh jim abyss who went on to do arctic monkeys and adele and all that sort of thing and the other guy was owen morris who went on to do oasis and national that sort of thing wow so it was this incredible 
yeah. I, I, it was only when I went to other studios, I thought all other studios must be like this. So you would be working with a 16-year-old who, and your stuff was sounding amazing. So, so I started it with Jim, this uh, uh, Ignorance from Record, and my idea was to try and record it in one day at the church. Well, I didn't. I failed. Uh, mainly because I just it didn't sound interesting enough over the course of a day, just mm. me. And my, my, my voice went by the end of the day. So I went back to the record company and said, I just need a bit more. And that's where I met Mark Freeguard. We went to a little studio called Loco in Wales and made it, took those original tapes and then turned it into the record. And, and Mark has just mastered my new... I've got a new compilation coming out on Reveal and mastered it yesterday and I was chatting with him this morning. So I've met nearly everyone that I've met. Stays on the team. In, in, yeah, yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? That's uh, yeah. It's a lot of contacts. I often think your your little black book has some of the best sort of connections that you can have in this country. I, I'm sure you... You can you, you know so many people and... Uh, I, do, I, I do, but I tend to... I, it tends to be people that... Alike or yeah it's not i'm not very um i'm ambitious for the work i'm not so ambitious for the other stuff mm -hmm. you know so i'm always so that that's 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 it really and i'm still get so excited by that I like working with lady nade right now for people like i was working with a guy who's like a 19 year old guy from here called joshua grant i've been I did a bit of helping him earlier it just it never stops it, that excitement and i think that's from working in indie shops and and just always being excited about what's new you yeah know, so. yeah i can i remember i think the first time i would have been aware of you and and probably this is the same for a lot of people is when patience of angels came out yeah i didn't actually know who you were or that you'd written it but i knew that song very well yeah and, um i can remember i was my brother lived in Champaign, Illinois, and there was a little record store that you, you know, those American sort of um, porn broker type shops, and you'd, you'd yeah, go yeah. and probably not so much now, they probably don't even have CDs in them, but you'd go and there'd be bargain buckets of loads of CDs. And I saw this mm. Eddie Reader, Mumama, is it Mumama? That first. Mumama, yeah, which, which Neil. Which Neil produced. It's a brilliant record, it's isn't it? It's fantastic. And I was instantly hooked. And um, later on, when I started making the guitars, I'd, I'd gone into um, a shop in London called Vintage and Rare, and they were trying to put me in touch with artists, and, and they knew everyone up there because it was, it was in Earl's Court, and there were a lot of musos up there. And I remember saying to the guy, I don't know about those people, but I'd like to meet the people who played on this album. And... Uh, yeah. and it was so exciting to me when I, I when we first connected that you were involved mm. in that world, and that yeah. that um, that single changed your life, didn't it? It did, yes, it did. It did change my life. It was funny because I'd written it for the band and they weren't sure about it. And then what happened is Eddie did this TV program from Glasgow called uh, No Stilettos. No Stilettos on the dance floor, but it was called No Stilettos, which was like a sort of uh, later. It was a bit early. I think it was before later. And she needed songs to sing. And so uh, she sang She sang that song there. And that, that was the... I had met her before, but that was sort of the beginning of our sort of knowing each other. 
And she then went to America to make her first or uh, well, second solo record because she got signed to Warner's after me and Mama. Mm-hmm. And she was going to make a record with Mark, Mark Nevin. And it didn't work out. So she's in the studio with these all these musicians, some of whom have been in Steely Dan, you really? know, like okay. incredible musicians. No pressure. But she hadn't got the songs because it hadn't, hadn't worked out. So I, fo- I, 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 I sang that song. She said, do you remember that song about angels that I did on the programme? Could you sing it down the phone? So she sang it. I sang it down the phone. And then a couple of days later, they played it to me down the phone. And they said, have you got any more? So I, I, I would just be singing down the phone to a studio in America. <laughs> and that joke, that happened with joke as well. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. It, and at the time, you just think that's funny. But then, you know, all the stuff when she won the Brits and all that. It was, uh, But the adventure keeps going with her just doing that telly the other night and we were watching it and i was with my missus and i said i think that's the best singing i've ever heard her do you know mm. she just keeps getting better and better she's such an engaging live live singer isn't she and yeah. she's one of those people that takes you kind of by the scruff of the neck and says come mm. on you're coming with me and yeah the whole adventure with her has always been forward motion so we, i think it's like 12 or 13 albums and the burns album which was an which is why we were on the telly last night where it was a her, she had a fantastic guy as a manager called peter jenner a legend mm-hmm. i really i really really enjoyed the period when peter was around and he, he, he she'd done this concert where she sang a couple of burn songs so why don't you do an album of that and she did, and it was on her. She, it was between labels, and so she took the risk, and then we took it to Rough Trade. And it's, uh, yeah, of course, Patience of Angels changed things so much for me. But in some ways, that Burns record, because I produced that as well, and that meant that people asked me to produce them as well. And I only produced it because I drew the short straw as well. I didn't. I was, and it was such a, it was such a, 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 a baptism of fire because it, there was an orchestra and it was so much to take on board as your first big thing, you know. It's Good. it's a mega album. I I, I remember it coming out and mm. a fond kiss on that. It just makes me cry mm. now when I listen to it. It's, it's it was beautiful. very. It, it's really it was really hard working on it because that would happen like every time we were doing a mix and you're listening to the mix and it's like, well, how did it go? So well, towards the end, I, I just heard this sort of blubbering sound. <laughs> oh, it's me. <laughs> it was it recorded live um, mainly or. It was live, but what the way that it worked, and it became apparent to me that it should be live, and it was recorded in basically two sessions: one with a band in a very small room. Although we had uh, a play, we had we had used to the bigger room. It was a very small room, so we we're all in a circle. So there's real problems with um, separation and so forth. So what I did basically is we just took multiple, multiple, multiple takes, mm-hmm. uh, and then there was another session with an, an orchestra. Uh, and of course, that was the big expense. And she, it, Eddie was a little bit late, and they were all freaking out. But I knew it was going to be fine. And she turned up and she sang all of them live a few times. Then I took them down to John Kelly, the fantastic producer, and we spent a few weeks just going through every take and, and making the record. So it is live, but it's from lots of yeah. takes. So there might be. I, I particularly remember this one song, the first two bars. There were ten edits in the first two bars. I remember that. That was. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. Doesn't it, though, to, does it? it, yeah, it yeah. That's another thing. Like you were talking earlier on about playing or recording down the internet together, but then you hear that in the live room, and and you know because those players, all of you can play so bloody well. You know, mm, and mm. the likes of John McGusker on there, and and you know that yeah. stuff 
it it just sounds so good live and and it just comes across well one of the tracks see they were all they all had these string arrangements and but this was one of the decisions which i was it was hard to, to tell people that i thought we should do this so there there's a song on there called charlie is my darling and it's uh, there was a beautiful string arrangement and we tried it and i just thought well this sounds great but it doesn't feel like i think it should feel so i got them all to go into the studio and there was just one one mic in the middle of the room and i said we're going to do it like this and they i think they all thought i was a bit mad but a, a lot of people that's their favorite track and that's just us in a circle playing it yeah it kind of reminiscent in the same way as that bruce springsteen album that i think i don't know whether it came out before or after i don't know if you remember that it was a the Seeger, no. it was the Seeger sessions. Oh, Seeger sessions, yeah, yeah fantastic. Yeah. And and it fantastic has that record. same feel about it. They're, they're albums yeah. that instantly you want to go and watch the live version of it. Oh, it's just so interesting recording because some people it really works putting things together like a jigsaw. It really does, and it's, it makes for better records. Some some people you want that control, but say with Brooks and I, we've made these two singles which we really like. But it's just not the same because by accident I listened to one of our early tracks. We made our first album in a day. Mm. We booked we'd booked more time in the studio, but we just got to the end of the first day and went, I think we finished. It's not done to a click, so the timing moves. There aren't any mistakes, but it does that push and pull that you only get when you play in a room together. So You have to be brave to do that as well, I think. A lot of musicians probably shy away from it and think, oh, I'm probably going to make a mistake. I'll just stick to this click and I can jump in on this track and so to actually have the balls to go right no that's that's good how do you know you use your own ears and you just got an instinct or or do you rely yeah. on other people to sort of what do they think oh def- definitely within that instance so that was mark freegard who i mentioned earlier who engineered and i guess produced that it's instinct so when you're working with someone like brooks who not only is a fantastic guitar player as you know but he is a brilliant singer mm. i don't think he gets enough um recognition for that it, honestly the first time we heard him on mic it was it was a wonderful experience because at that point brooks had made 16 or 17 albums so we recorded the first track and we did it it's completely live i know that it was a, i think it might have been on to half inch he was really really live about and mark is fantastic at the playback it, what i mean is you must have been in studios and you've done this great take and then you go back in the room and it sounds flat as a pancake so yeah yeah it gets headphones on does a bit of that and, and i remember watching brooks's face it's a song called darkness off the first record and blaring it back in and i just remember looking at brooks's face it's like oh my god i've never heard myself like that you know oh. you just did that you know and that's so you know mark's yeah. fantastic mark's fantastic if you want to do a live record i can't recommend working with mark enough you know yeah it's uh it's something we don't hear enough of now i think it's um mm. uh, but then you know you do listen to those albums that are pure studio albums and when that's done well it's oh, yeah. incredible as well isn't it so yeah. uh, it's, it's a place inc- for all of it yes i've not there's no no if someone wants to put put a record together like that and then at the other end i'm blown away by it that's totally cool and it's not a snobby thing it's just different different situations so like for example you could never have done the burns album with to a click it's impossible you know mm. you had to it had to breathe and flow but i i think i made my last two records with clicks but i can play with clicks i don't mind them it was yeah. just and that was a bit expediency because i particularly the last record i i was done in hours 
mm-hmm. I had because I had no uh, not much money or not much time, and it was sometimes it was done in other people's lunch times on in, on their sessions. I was, no, right. I'll st- you go and have lunch. I'll stay here. Quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Free album, lovely. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but you must have hundreds of songs. Are you still working on songs that you started 20 years ago or do you forget about that sort of stuff? No, if they come to my mind and I go back and listen to the notes I've made on my phone and sometimes I'll find complete songs that really... <laughs> that, that happened about a week ago because I've got a Patreon page and I like to put new things up every day and most people put up once a week i like it i just like it so it's like a little daily thing for people and i also keep the price really low so i've got lots of people it's a nice little community mm-hmm. and i found this song it's called islanders and i have no memory of ever writing it and i think it's me and Drever. i'm not really sure and i listen back it's, and it's really good <laughs> so i do cool. i I just keep them all on, on there. And I don't know why we were doing a tour perhaps. And when we thought, well, we, we've already got a couple of three, four songs or something. Do, do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. I, so uh, nothing gets wasted. I remember listening to an, an interview with Shane McGowan and no, it was actually with, with uh, Nick Cave and Nick Cave was writing with Shane McGowan and, and he was always amazed how, unorganised Shane McGowan was, how, how he ever managed to come up with anything because he'd go in and see in the corner of the, the room a load of crumpled up bits of paper and uh, and he'd sort of unfold them and go, each one of these was a masterpiece and he'd kind of forgotten about it. You know, if, I, if I'd have written it, I'd have been dead proud. God, what, what's your sort of uh, filter like? You, you go, no, that's shit. I could never release that. Or... At this stage, it's just if I if I if I if I like it actually it sounds a bit low bar, <laughs> but I've definitely worked on songs for a long, long time and then just gone. Uh, there was a fantastic A and R man who signed us the great idea all those years ago called Nigel Grange, who's left us now. But Nigel had a label called Ensign, which which we were on, which was part of island then part of chrysalis so we, he was there he's, he's he's left us and it, but he gave me some great bits of advice he was an interesting man he signed 10 cc he signed rod stewart all when he was really really young he signed he had the boomtown rats and then later on the golden period i think when signed he had uh water boys and sinead o'connor and stuff like that mm-hmm. so i was there and on the first meeting that we had he said uh always listen to always listen to that little voice mm-hmm. brilliant so I'm at that stage now. I've had years and years of second guessing. Oh, maybe this will be a single, or perhaps, or oh, perhaps so and so like this. Well, I just don't do that anymore. There's no reason to because it's 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 I'm where I am now. So I, with the last record, it was pure instinct. The whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I was particularly pleased with the last track on it, which is called "I Wish I Had Wings" because I made that up in my head on the way to the studio, and it's a song about making up songs in your head. And I just came and said, "Hang on a minute," I went and played it, and then we recorded it, and then it existed, and I really like it. So just it's just instinct now. Yeah, you know. that's a super thing. That really is. Um, I remember you telling me once that you were you were signed to a label or something, and someone brought you into the, a room and asked you, "Can you listen to this?" Everyone's going mad about it, and it was the Sinead O'Connor song. Yeah, that's well. That was that was that was Nigel, and and Nigel didn't. I, I he never really missed fire but he didn't he didn't get it he didn't get why and I, he played it to me and i i thought it was amazing yeah <laughs> so but 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 he said well why does everyone like it but that's um but that was a very very 
very rare sort of uh, sort of take from him. Yeah, it's it. That's that's interesting, isn't it? How someone's the, the potential for us never to have heard that song was actually out there, wasn't it? And uh, I mean, the song we're talking about is "Nothing Compares to You" by by uh, well Prince or um, Prince and then uh, Sinead. Yeah, yeah, which it, in England was at number one for ten weeks or more. I'd imagine something like that. I think it was number one in America as well. And it was uh, it was um, it was she insisted. She was she she was a I I haven't I've only met her a few times but I remember her coming into the office at Ensign when she was probably eighteen or nineteen but she was like you could amazing, just amazing presence you know so she just yeah. said no this is going to be the single and she and she was right so yeah so you're you're going to start back up touring next year are you going to have an album to promote or you might have had two or three albums by the time well the- most of the writing I've done is. For other people, I have two that I'm, of my own that I'm nurturing, but I'm very slow with myself unless I'm put under the, unless Tom, the, the uh, reveal, gives me deadlines. But uh, I, the next thing that's coming out is a thing that's totally Tom's thing that I said, I, I just was listening to the master this morning and it's called Collected Works. And it's it's all of his favourite songs that I've done. And they're all quite downbeat, but it was it was an okay listen. But it's a really funny thing listening to yourself. I I, I put that off for about three days, and I said, "We need we need your approval. We need your approval." And I have to sit down and listen to twenty songs of mine in a row. That was like, jeez. <laughs> I, I know. I I I did it this morning. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you do you ever sort of, uh, and you don't have to name names, but do you, does someone ever record? A song of yours and think, oh, wouldn't have done it like that. Or, or what I often hear Randy Newman sort of say something like, I would never have thought of doing something like that with it. And and Tom Jones had a massive hit with Leave Your Hat On. I could yeah. have done that. Um, yes, I I love it. I love hearing what people do with my songs. I really, and the more different it is, and the more it's unlike what I thought was going to happen, the more I get off on it. I've only once not only once not liked a cover and i can't even remember the name of the woman but she did a, a song of mine that was a real like a little gentle sort of thing and and she just shouted all the way through it and i did just <laughs> <laughs> but that's only once i yeah. i love it and it's still it's still the biggest thrill when i get i i miss cds because normally what would happen with a cd would just pop through my letterbox with a new thing but i get sent mp3s or whatever or uh, links and it's I, it's still and it doesn't really it, it, it has no effect on me as to what they now how can I put this just yesterday somebody sent me a link of a video of a family where every Burns night they they heart, work out a song and harmonize it and they've done a song that me and Finley wrote it's called the Blue Lagoon and I got such a, I got as much a kick off that as if something gets in the charts or something, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, that's that's super, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, yeah. the, the the record industry's changed so much, and I mean, I used to buy CDs. I think I probably bought ten a week, some weeks, you know, and mm. I was just absolutely addicted. And the thought now, I mean, I've got. A, do you have a Spotify account, for example? Are you somebody I, uh- who? I have Apple Music. I mean, I do have a Spotify account. I don't use it much. And I mean, it's it's very difficult. It's, it reminds 
reminds me a little bit of when do you remember on cassettes they used to put a, a skull on crossbones saying home taping is killing music yeah yeah i mean it actually did the exact opposite because right. people pe- music was going around and it became music became much more of a, th- a thing it's there it exists you can adapt it or whatever but it's not going to go away i mean it's crap now my statements the thing about statements now is that they have hundreds of pages of naught point naught 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 one piece <laughs> and so our income has it's plummeted yeah but i don't know what they're it, it's amazing how music has been de- devalued over the last 30 or 40 years i mean i worked in a record shop you know like uh, the, i remember the white album by the beatles which is the most expensive i think it was 40 quid for a cd and now you can just stream it for nothing so it's like it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. The, the way you can sort of consume music now just just means that you can dip in here and there and you don't experience that whole album. Sort of When you had the CD or the vinyl or the cassette, you were committed, weren't you, to yeah. certainly, certainly on, on, you know, cassette and, and, and vinyl. Do you think people are engaging with it like they used to or... You know, we used to know everyone who played on a record. Well, we don't get to see that now, do we? I guess not. I never want them to feel like the old, old, old Gimmer in, at the bar saying things were better. It's just, it's different. But I definitely, with my last record, I I made it as a piece. I uh, At one point, we were just going to re- release it. It's on CD, but we're going to release it as one file because I wanted people to experience the whole arc of it. Mm-hmm. I, that was particularly from when I was hearing Mastered. I just thought this is really good, like this. I really like the tracks individually, particularly the, the tracks that aren't really me. The tracks in between are done by a wonderful friend of mine called Gustav Lundgren, who lives in Copenhagen and has been someone I've worked with for the last nearly 20 years now. Fantastic multi instrumentalist. And I got him to write these pieces in between each song. And it just works as a piece, but you can't make people do that. But no, I, tr- no. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, I, yeah, of course, and I used to love taking the 12-inch album out of a, a sleeve and the static when it was brand new. I had yeah. that experience recently because they, there's a song I wrote with a couple of pals that was on a KD Lang album. It was only ever on CD, but for record day last time, they released it on vinyls. And just the experience of taking it out and all the static and, oh, and it's so big and there's so much yeah. to look at. I love all yeah. that. I haven't done that for a long time. It's uh, mm. I don't know whether whether I'll get round to doing that again. But um, hey, well, uh, I, th- I think we've talked for about an hour now. Um, which I'll do, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. It, it's it's been brilliant to talk to you again, Boo. And- yes, and and you and you've been a huge figure for me because that first guitar that I had from you which is my favourite guitar, which is over there. I don't gig with it anymore, but it's been broken twice on two plane journeys. So it's been fixed up again, but it's the thing that's magic about your guitars. And, and I've also got on my, on my wall, the one, the Boo Hudy model, which is what I use every day, is that they're, they're, your guitars are full of songs. <laughs> that's a, well, where's my royalty check? <laughs> I just, I just uh, thought, I just thought the warm glow was enough, you know. Uh, no, well, yeah, it used to be. <laughs> Doesn't buy the kids shoes. Um, no, it means a lot, and and really, it it all was born out of loving songwriting yeah. and, and songs. So I, I'm pleased that's how you feel. Yes, it's and, incredible. Uh, I've been through so many guitars before that, J200s, all sorts of like tried all 
about this. I remember uh, I can't. What was the name of the guy who did a writing session with me? Andy, somebody. And Andy Mitchell. Yeah, yeah and he was yeah. playing, and I was like enjoying the day, but I kept saying, "What is that guitar?" And that's you know so uh, incredible. And even when I came to you when you'd made the blue guitar, I sat there and uh, um, I remember you thought it was a strange song, but it's one of my favourite songs of recent years was I wrote a song just sitting there because they just fall out of your guitars. That song, uh, Last Shot on the Roll, just came. Yeah. yeah. It's just uh, you just I... pick up one of your guitars and out they pour, which is not always the case. So thank you. Well, look, I could talk to you for another hour, but I know you've got stuff to do. Yeah. Maybe we'll do this again if this podcast sort of uh, sort of works out. But look, yes. mate, thanks ever so much. Uh, look after yourself. I'll you catch too. you next year. I think you might be coming to the Marlowe Theatre with Eddie in uh, on a tour in Canterbury. So watch out. I'll be spying on you. Excellent. <laughs> okay, All right. Take See care. you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. So, that was my conversation with Boo Hewardine. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. It's always good to talk to Boo. Uh, if you like the podcast, please go online and rate it. I believe a five-star review gets our name about, which could really help us. I'll be back next week. And uh, in the meantime, you've been listening to Tuned with Alistair Atkins.